Hello, and welcome to the Wild Heart Meditation Center podcast. We release these episodes every week on Wednesday mornings, and the best way to support us is by clicking subscribe and taking a moment to rate the podcast wherever you are listening. If you'd like to support our efforts to keep the nonprofit Meditation Center open in Nashville, you can donate via Venmo by sending your donation to at Wild Heart Nashville, or you can make a donation through our website, wildheartmeditationcenter.org, by clicking the Donate tab. Peace and love. Hope you enjoy. Thank you for your practice. So if you're just joining us, we're going to do maybe a couple different practices here in a little bit. Um, But I wanted to start off by talking about the topic for today, which is the Buddhist teachings on loving kindness. And Rachel and I have been offering some reflections on loving kindness over the last month. So this is the final talk that we're giving on loving kindness. No pressure on me, right? Uh, To wrap things up here. And then we'll be moving into talking about the Buddhist teachings on compassion. And we're going to go through all four of the heart practices. So it's loving kindness, then compassion, and then appreciative joy, and then equanimity. So if you want to take some time to practice these things with us for the next few months, feel free to come back. And and in particular, I wanted to name this morning's reflection, viewing the world through kind eyes, viewing the world through kind eyes. Um, so when I was a kid, I, would, I was afraid to go to sleep at night. I had night terrors. And so I would stay up really late, and I had a TV in my room. I was kind of a 90s kid where I got lucky enough to have one of those old TVs with the little dial, like the hand-me-down from the 80s TV. And I uh, would stay up super late watching uh, Nick at Night, uh, happy days and bewitched and um, and then when I got a little bit older I discovered Howard Stern and uh, I would watch Howard Stern at night and I learned a lot of things about the world through Howard Stern whether you like him or hate him you'll learn a lot from him especially as a kid and one of the things that would happen late at night is these infomercials would come on I don't know if y'all remember the, the infomercials These days, I just have streaming services, so I don't really get many commercials. But uh, back then, we'd have the infomercials. And um, when I was preparing this talk on loving kindness, I'd remembered this sutta that the Buddha gave where he talks about the benefits of loving kindness. And it sounded so much like an infomercial. So I just wanted to read it to you to start. These are some of the things that you can possibly get out of the practice. These are the Buddha's words. Monks, 11 advantages are to be expected from the release of heart by familiarizing oneself with thoughts of loving kindness, by the cultivation of loving kindness, by constantly increasing these thoughts, by regarding loving kindness as a vehicle, and also as something to be treasured, by living in conformity with these thoughts, by putting these ideas into practice, and by establishing them. What are the 11 benefits? Number one, you will sleep in comfort. Number two, you will awake in comfort. Number three, you will see no evil dreams. Number four, you will become dear to human beings. Number five, you will become dear to non-human beings. Number six, 
devas or the gods will protect you. Number seven, fire, poison, and sword cannot touch you. Number eight, your mind will become concentrated quickly. Number nine, your countenance will be serene. Number 10, you will die without being confused in your mind. And number 11, finally, if you fail to attain arahantship, which is the highest form of awakening here and now in this life, you will be reborn in the Brahma world. So loving kindness, I think the message here is come for the serene countenance and leave with fire and poison protection. (laughs) And if you're a newcomer to the Buddhist teachings, I think it's helpful to talk a little about what the Buddha meant by loving kindness and what it is as a practice. And I know we've been talking about this over the past several weeks, um, but it can be helpful to review some of these things. Loving kindness is one of the four Brahma Viharas. Brahma Vihara translates to mean divine abodes. And the Buddha called them these immeasurable qualities. He called it a sublime abiding, a place that is really a refuge, a place that we want to return to time and time again. Loving kindness is the first of these four Brahmi Viharas, and the other ones are compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity. The Buddha said that loving kindness is an ever present quality. He said it's appropriate to be cultivated in every moment, in every situation. He said that compassion is the wise response to pain. Non-attached, appreciative joy is the wise response to pleasure. And equanimity is the wisdom factor that helps to hold all of these other qualities in balance. So metta, or loving kindness, uh, we call it here metta, which is the Pali Sanskrit word. It means something like loving kindness, but it actually comes from the root word mitta, or mitto, which means friend. And I know that love can be a very loaded word, just like maybe some of the benefits that the Buddha's offering through the practice are a little loaded. Uh, So I like to look at maybe the original etymology of the word as being something closer to, to friend, friendliness, than love. The word mit... Uh, the kind of original or the prefix to the word mitto or friend means literally fat with kindness. And we are talking before uh, the Dharma session this morning about how in certain languages they have, a, I think, a better way of giving description for how things are. You know, when I think of the word friendship, I usually think of you know, something that's warm and connecting and loving in my life. But when you have a word that literally means to your ear, fat with kindness, (laughs) it gives you, I think, more of a descriptive quality of what a friendship feels like. The Buddha taught metta as an antidote to fear and hatred. And some of you may have heard the original story is the Buddha already had attained his awakening, his enlightenment, and taught his reflections on the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. He had already given teaches on the development of mindfulness as a way to support us in our path towards peace. 
And the monks were going out on a long retreat to practice this mindfulness practice. And they would sit in these forests uh, during periods of extended practice, like three months. And there would be the elements of rain and lightning and it would be hot and cold. And they would be visited by a lot of anxiety and fear in their minds. Now, in the real story, it says they were visited by ghosts, tree spirits. And the tree spirits didn't want them to be practicing there. They had kind of just come into the tree spirits' land and sat down and said, all right, we're going to chill here for three months. And the tree spirits were like, no, the hell you're not. Get out of here. So they were haunting the monks. And as an offering, I know we probably heard this uh, quite a few times, but the power of reflection and repetition is really helpful here. The Buddha offered this sutta, and I'm going to read it. It's called the Metta Sutta. And these were the Buddha's words to the monks that were scared. He said, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened by duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they're weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, the medium, the short or the small, those seen and unseen beings, those living near and far away, those that are born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upward to the skies and downward to the depths, outwards and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding, By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being free from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. So the Buddha really doesn't hold back with this teaching. He sets a pretty high bar. When the question comes around of, you know, should I be kind towards this being, or should I be kind towards that being, Or should I be kind towards this thought that I have or this feeling of pain in my body? The Buddha is saying all of it, all of it, without exception. And it was taught as an antidote to fear and hatred. Fear obviously being the underlying emotion behind a lot of our reactivity out of hatred. And really, it's a view. Metta is a view that's consistent with the Buddhist teachings. And it's not something that we have to believe in. It's something that we undertake with investigation. 
which is the view that deep down underneath all of our reactive conditioning, underneath all of our patterns of defensiveness and reactivity and judgment and criticism and harm that we cause, underneath all of that, we all desire peace, happiness, and well-being. Now, metta isn't a condoning of the fact that what we do has consequences. That's another view in Buddhism, that whatever we practice, we get better at. So if we practice acting out of our reactivity, the reactivity grows stronger in our mind and in our heart. So we balance the quality of metta with wisdom. I understand that your happiness is dependent upon your own actions and not my wishes for you. And yet I still wish for you to be happy and free from suffering. So it's one of these both and things in Buddhism. And the Buddha was taught to, said to have taught the middle path. Always keeping things in balance. And beyond just wishing kindness towards all beings, the Buddha is also encouraging us to bring a quality of kindness towards all experience. And so this is what I wanted to kind of talk through in the talk today about seeing the world through kind eyes. Not just other people, but all of our experiences through kind eyes. For me, loving kindness was something that when I first came into the Buddhist practice that I believed in and that I appreciated about the Buddhist teaching. You know, some of my, um, you know, these people that I looked up to in the Buddhist tradition that brought me into the rooms were people like the Dalai Lama or Thich Nhat Hanh, people that really radiated these qualities of kindness and compassion. So my issue wasn't so much that I was skeptical or doubting of these principles. It was just that I didn't feel capable that I, too, could have access to them that this heart and mind felt so closed off and distant from them that they didn't feel attainable. They didn't feel realistic. And so during the meditation retreat, when we were doing the first foundation of mindfulness and the insight practice and developing concentration through meditation, I was all on board for that. I was like, I, maybe I can do that. I've been going to school my whole life and having teachers telling me to pay attention in class. Maybe I could pay attention to my breath for a little bit. <laughs> I did, and it was helpful. I got a break from this endless succession of worrying and, and planning and comparing, and I got to just be with the breath even for a moment and drop underneath all that repetitive thinking and, and get a break. But then when it came to the part of the retreat, usually in the afternoon when they taught the heart practices, I just it felt like something I more or less just had to tolerate. And once I went on two or three retreats and I was, you know, noticing this kind of pattern over and over again, the heart practice would roll around, I started getting really curious as to what was happening. And I don't, didn't have the words for it at this time, but the feeling was like everybody in the room was included in this big space of love and I was just somehow sitting right outside of the circle. You know, like everyone else was being encouraged that they could love themselves and they could uh, hold themselves with compassion no matter what. 
and that it was true for everyone else except for me. I didn't feel capable. I didn't feel deserving. I mean, you name it, fill in the blank. (laughs) I am not whatever enough. But that's where I started to really notice that this was the thing that was standing in the way. And so I started doing metta practice towards the part of me that didn't feel included in the metta practice. And then I learned later on that the Buddha said one of the applications of metta practice is not just this cultivation of loving kindness, but it's a purification practice. He basically says that sometimes you sit and you practice loving kindness and you actually get to illuminate all of those parts of you that feel excluded from that wish. It's like a flashlight shining in the the dark corners of your heart. Right? All the cobwebs that we haven't cleared out yet. One of my meditation teachers said that there's only really two parts of you. There's the parts of you that you love and the parts that are longing to be loved. And so metta is the inclusion of all of it. Even the parts of us that are resistant towards it. I spent a great deal of my life being skeptical of things like love. Because love is something we all want, but it's also the area of life that most of us have experienced the most pain and difficulty in at the same time. It's usually those that are closest to us that have in some ways intentionally or unintentionally hurt us or fucked us up the most, in my experience. (laughs) I have a little bit of credibility as a therapist of having sat with a bunch of other people, and it seems to be true. Right, Because inevitably, what do we talk about in the therapy chair? We talk about our relationships with our family and our partners and even the partners that we don't have that we long to have. So this is actually a really beautiful and, and big area of practice because all of the heart practices, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity, they're all what I would call relational qualities. You know, it would be nice if if Buddhism was this isolated practice where we go and sit in a cave for 10 years and we reach our own kind of awakening and then we get to just bliss out in heaven for the rest of the days, right? But what we find instead is that the more we find peace and love within ourselves, the more that we actually want to engage with the world. You know, I learned this in 12-step recovery too, is once you you know, experience some of the promises and the benefit of being clean in recovery, the natural result of that is that you help other people. And so one way or another, we're going to find ourselves in relationships. And these four Brahma Viharas are really the territory that help our relationship, not just with others, but also with ourselves. So one way that we can practice, and it's a practice that we'll do here in a moment, is we can start by practicing it with these different categories of people. And I really love this practice. This came after the time of the Buddha's life, about four or five hundred years after his death. These commentaries came out. They're called the Vasudhimaga. And in the Vasudhimaga, they kind of sought to fill in some of the practical instructions that the Buddha didn't lay out explicitly in the early texts. 
He laid out a lot of explicit instructions for mindfulness of breathing and the four foundations of mindfulness and the development of concentration and the development of insight. And he talked a lot about loving kindness and compassion and appreciative joy and equanimity, but he didn't offer many instructions on them. He literally just said, sit and radiate loving kindness out in all four directions. So do that. Just radiate it out of your heart. <laughs> and the, the Sudhimaka came around, these, these commentaries, and, and they really offered a, a pretty unique, I think, and a very special practice, which is they said, you want to try to maybe start by working with different categories of people in your life to wish loving kindness towards. Now, back then, 20... One twenty-two hundred years ago, when the Vasudhi Maga came out, uh, I don't think the world was riddled with as much shame and competition, and you know, as much self-criticism and self-hatred as we have today. As a matter of fact, you may have heard this story, but when the Dalai Lama first came to the West, he met with a bunch of Buddhist teachers. And I believe, if I remember correctly, I think it was like Michelle McDonald that said, uh, she got to raise her hand and ask the Dalai Lama a question. She said, um, you know, venerable, what do we do when we're sitting with students and practitioners of the, the Dharma that have so much self-hatred that they can't practice loving kindness? And he went and asked his translator some clarification. This translator had translated the question. And supposedly they went back and forth for like five minutes because the Dalai Lama was just not understanding this concept of self-hatred. And I think I remember hearing that the, the Dalai Lama, once he finally got it, he goes, oh, and he looked back and he said, why would you hate yourself? <laughs> The commentary said that you should first start by practicing love and kindness towards yourself and then move into other categories of beings. Um, but somewhere along the line, especially Western Buddhist teachers have started to shift this, and I really actually appreciate this practice, where they take the second category, which is the category of the benefactor, and they put it first. So they say first you should try to practice loving kindness towards someone that's easy to feel loving and kind towards. And then, after you do that practice, you can shift the practice to yourself. And so this benefactor is someone that is a friend. It can be someone that's a mentor. It also doesn't have to be a person. Uh, if you're anything like me, there have been times in my life where uh, my experience of depression was so severe that any person I tried to pick as my benefactor just felt full of flaws and full of incapabilities. And so I was really grateful to hear on retreat one time the, the teacher said, if you're having trouble finding a person to be your benefactor, pick a pet. You can pick an animal. And that there's really no better representation of unconditional love than a pet. 
be a child in your life. It could be a niece or a nephew. It could be a, a spiritual teacher. It could be, if you're in recovery, a sponsor. Or if you're a Buddhist, it could be a teacher you've had. It could also just be a good friend that you've had for, for most of your life. So we're going to do a little bit of reflection, then we're going to do a, a short practice together. And what I want to do is we're going to do some free association. So just let it flow. Let it flow into the room here. I want you to bring to mind a friend, a benefactor in your life. And you can do this with your eyes open or closed. I want you to try to kind of picture them for a second. And this is someone you don't have a ton of conflicting emotions with. So pick someone pretty easy. And this person that we're picking, they also don't have to be perfect. So whoever comes to mind, let them be good enough. Even if they get a C- in the benefactor category, it's still pretty good. So I want you to picture them, and I want you to notice their laughter, I want you to notice their eyes, I want you to notice if there's any quality of non-judgment that they embody, like uh, openness or an attentive listening. And now we're going to shout out loud any words that come to mind, any adjectives that you would use to describe this being. Generous. Generous. Understanding. Understanding. Considerate. Considerate. Receptive. Receptive. Joy. Joy. Goofy. Goofy. Caring. Caring. Compassionate. Kind and stable. Kind and stable. All right. Now we're going to go into this practice a little bit together. I want you to start to feel into your body here. Just keeping this being in your mind's eye, almost as if they're sitting right in front of you. Even if it's only a momentary awareness, I want you to notice the felt sense in the body as you sit with them. And beginning to bring your awareness into your heart center, imagine as if you're breathing in and out of your own heart as you hold them in your mind's eye. As you breathe in and breathe out, we're going to silently repeat the following phrases towards this being, wishing them well, wishing them happiness and peace. So breathing in and breathing out, offering the phrase, may you be at ease. 
be at ease. Breathing in and breathing out, may you be at peace. May you be at peace. Now trying on the phrase, almost as if you're trying on a piece of clothing here. As you see this being sitting in front of you, may you be kind and gentle with yourself. May you be kind and gentle with yourself. Breathing in and breathing out, may you be filled with loving kindness. May you be filled with loving kindness. As you breathe in and breathe out of your heart center, simply repeat these phrases over and over towards the benefactor, trying on each one as you say it. May you be at ease. May you be at peace. May you be kind and gentle with yourself. May you be filled with loving kindness. May you be at ease. May you be at peace. May you be kind and gentle with yourself. May you be filled with loving kindness over and over. It's completely normal and natural for the mind to wander during meditation. Being kind and gentle to the thinking mind as if it was a friend as well. Thank you, mind. May you be at ease too. Returning back to the image of your benefactor over and over. May you be at ease. May you be at peace. 
May you be kind and gentle with yourself. May you be filled with loving kindness. Now allowing the image of the benefactor to fall away, maybe taking a moment to say goodbye for now. In imagining that you were to take a seat in front of you in the same space that the benefactor was just sitting. And I want you to see your eyes your laughter, your own qualities of non-judgment, attentive listening, compassionate presence. We're going to keep the same phrases. May you be at ease. May you be at peace. May you be kind and gentle with yourself. May you be filled with loving kindness as if you were talking to another person that is yourself, seeing yourself sitting in front of yourself. gentle with yourself. May you be filled with loving kindness. you didn't need to do anything to earn loving kindness. None of your flaws needed to be different.
towards every part of your experience, what you love and what's longing to be loved. May you be at ease. May you be at peace. May you be kind and gentle with yourself. May you be filled with loving kindness. I want to talk about viewing the world through kind eyes for just a moment and do another short practice before we open it up. If you're new to Buddhism, I think it's important to take a moment to reflect on one of the core teachings that the Buddha is really getting at is that it's a quite radical teaching, actually. It's that what we're all looking for, happiness, this ever-elusive thing, it's ultimately an inside job. And the core of the Buddhist teaching is that happiness doesn't come from the experiences that we find ourselves in. It comes from how we relate to the experiences we find ourselves in. Right? And I'll say it again because it's subtle. It's simple, but it's subtle. Right? Happiness doesn't come from the experiences we find ourselves in. It comes from how we relate to the experiences we find ourselves in. And the Buddha goes even deeper and says, not only does it not come from financial success or you know, power or status or validation from the world and worldly things, he goes even deeper than that. And, and he actually doesn't talk a lot about the world out there. He talks about how even our happiness doesn't come from certain experiences that we have internally certain feelings that we have, whether they're pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, we can find a happiness that's beyond pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings and emotions. Finding happiness even with a mind full of sadness and sorrow and depression. You know, finding happiness even when we're excited and connected. You know, so the Buddha is, is kind of encouraging us to look for a happiness that's not dependent on getting things to be a certain way, whether it's certain things out there or even certain things in here, our temporary states of mind and feelings and emotions. And, and this may sound like a philosophical thing, but it's not. You learn it in Mindfulness 101. You observe your thoughts, feelings, and emotions without judgment. Right? No matter what's happening. No matter what's happening, you just simply observe without judgment. And what you're building by doing that is you're building what in Buddhism we, we might call happiness, but it's really called equanimity. A type of happiness that doesn't require things to be a certain way. In one of the suttas called the Rohatasa 
Sutta, I've been really big on this one lately. The Buddha says that it's within this fathom-long body with its thoughts and perceptions that you'll find the world, the origin of the world, the ceasing of the world, and the path that leads to the ceasing of the world. So he says that the happiness that you find in the world is largely constructed through your thoughts and perceptions. And so what mindfulness is doing is actually looking at the mind that's constructing. It's looking at the mind that says, I'll be happy when I get. It's looking at the mind that says, that person is this way and I am this way. It's looking at the mind that constructs our worldview. And so what would it be like to bring loving kindness towards the world that's being constructed by your mind, towards your thoughts, towards the emotions you're experiencing, and towards even the physical sensations. Loving kindness towards sound and towards the temperature of your body. This sounds wild, but this is actually kind of what the Buddha's prescribing. He says nothing excluded towards not only other beings, the benefactor, yourself, other people. He's saying actually towards every bit of your experience as it unfolds directly and immediately. I would say that what this is and the practice that we'll do here uh, for a couple minutes is it's a practice of bringing loving kindness towards experience as it is rather than the way I want it to be. And I think it's a courageous act. I think it's quite a a radical thing to do. It's not changing the experience. It's not requiring anything of your experience. It's not analyzing your experience or attempting to figure out your experience. It's simply letting it be, just as it is. And so... My dear friend, Mikey Noshul, that I teach a lot with, uh, he likes to sing a Mr. Rogers song (laughs) that talks about liking things just the way they are. And I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. But I actually was listening to it this morning, and I would sing it, but Mr. Rogers does such a good job. So we're going to listen to Mr. Rogers sing this song. I'm that annoying person that pauses a song in the middle of it. (laughs) Think of you I like as every part of your experience. Okay. (laughs) I just gave you an opportunity to practice loving kindness. It's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair, but it's you I like. The way you are right now, the way down deep inside you. Not the things that hide you, not your toys, they're just beside you. 
but it's you I like. Every part of you, your skin, your eyes, your feelings, whether old or new, I hope that you'll remember, even when you're feeling blue, that it's you I like, it's you yourself, it's you, it's you. Jazzy solo there at the end. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So we're going to do just a really short practice here, maybe just a couple minutes, and it's going to be opening to what is opening to any part of our experience. So finding a way to sit that's comfortable for you. Just taking a couple deep breaths here. And noticing that the present experience is already happening. So even letting go of any need to meditate right now and arriving into the natural experience of the sounds. The experience of the body taking a moment to scan and Notice the felt sensations of the body. Noticing the pleasant sensations of the body, the unpleasant sensations, the neutral sensations of the body. simply allowing the body to breathe all by itself and offering this wish of loving kindness towards the direct experience of the body. May I be at ease with this body. May I be at ease this body. May I be at peace with this body. This body that hears sound, that feels feeling.
I be at peace with this body? I be kind and gentle with this body. However it is for me right now, may I be kind and gentle with this body. Wishing loving kindness towards the body and expanding the practice to also include the mind. Just noticing the quality of the mind right now, however it is. Breathing in and breathing out of the mind. May I be at ease with this mind. May I be at peace with this mind. May I be kind and gentle with this mind, however it is for me right now. Now bringing awareness into the heart center, your emotional body. Just towards anything that's been being held or felt in the emotional body right now or recently, just opening the awareness to include the emotional heart, the part of you that feels and is affected by the life you live. Towards the living, breathing heart, may I be at ease with this heart. May I be at peace with this heart. May I be kind and gentle with this heart, however it is for me right now in my life. 